Welcome to the Triumphal Feast Podcast, a ministry of Elder Bryce Lowrance speaking to you from the pulpit of Mount Perrin Primitive Baptist Church in Social Circle, Georgia. Take your will and your pride, toss them out, get your face in the dirt, and exalt Him as the Most High. Mount Perrin Primitive Baptist Church meets regularly two times a week. Our regular worship service is on Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. And our Wednesday evening Bible study is at 7 p.m. Eastern. If you would like to attend in person, we are located at 3749 Mount Perrin Church Road, Social Circle, Georgia, 30025. For more information about these services online or Mount Perrin Primitive Baptist Church, please visit our website at mppbc.com. Today's episode of Triumphal Feast is the conclusion of the message from Psalm 21. After the following hymn, we will continue the message in Psalm 21, verse 8. made him exceeding glad with thy countenance. Whoa. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. To have the countenance of God upon us means that we have his favor. And what did that cause? He was exceeding glad. not an English major. But that doesn't say exceedingly glad. It says exceeding glad. There's a difference. If you think you've been glad, there's something that exceeds that. And when you're in good favor with God, you know what it is. 
but we can be in good favor with God here in this sin-cursed earth. Can you imagine what it's going to be like in glory when sin no longer has its horrible tentacles wrapped around us? I look forward to that day. For the king trusteth in the Lord, and through the mercy of the Most High, he shall not be moved. The king, Jesus, trusteth in God. How does God trust in God? If you know how to answer that for me, thank you. Help me. But that's not really the point. The fact is the Son of God trusted in his Father. So we don't have anything else that we need to trust in other than God. Amen. Who are we to say with our psychology and our evolution of mind, the way that we supposedly have, who are we to say that we're any better than Jesus Christ? We're not. We're not the only begotten of the Father. We are adopted sons. But Jesus trusteth in the Lord, and through the mercy of the Most High, he shall not be moved. How is it that Jesus got off the ground there in the garden? Have you read that prayer? Have you read what, uh, what our Lord and Savior went through? How was he as a man able to get up off that ground and walk out to those soldiers? How was he able to do that? Where did that strength come from? Where did that courage come from? He trusted God. That's what it means shall not be moved. Didn't shake in his boots. How do I know that? Because when those men said, are you him? He said, I am he. And when he said, I am, what happened? See, he remembered who he was. Not that he forgot. But he remembered who he was. And you want to know why Jesus didn't say who he was that often? Because everybody would be falling down all the time. Yeah. Folks, you need to remember who you are. You're a child of the king. That king is raised. That king is joying in the, in the face of his father and you should be as well. So, Bryce, we got troubles here. You weren't in that garden. You didn't go to that cross. You can't tell me the troubles that you and I go through are anything to be compared to what our Savior went through. But he got up and he praised his father. What's the matter with us? That we would say, my trouble's too great. I, I just can't do it today. Oh, have we forgotten who we are? Have we forgotten what he prevented, what he did before? This next section, starting in verse 8, talks about the judgment of God. This is not talking about things that happened to Jesus Christ any longer. This is not talking about anything that's going to happen to the children of God. This is talking about anybody that is an enemy of God. Thine hand shall find out all thine enemies. Thy right hand shall find out those that hate thee. It starts off by saying thy hand is going to find the enemies. Then it says, thy right hand. So it tells us right here that God the Father will judge. And how is he going to do it? Through Jesus Christ. See, there's the beautiful secret 
of the great white throne judgment. The one that died for you is your judge. <laughs> you ain't got nothing to worry about. If he died for you, why will he condemn you? You're not his enemy because he died for you. He died for you because God chose you. So if you happen to be acting like his enemy, cut it out. Because we have a good father. And a good father whips the tar out of his son when he needs it. <laughs> right? But thanks be to God for that discipline. Because if we didn't have that, then we're not sons. We're this group. We're the haters of God. Thou shalt make them as a fiery oven in the time of thine anger. The Lord shall swallow them up in his wrath, and the fire shall devour them. Their fruits shalt thou destroy from the earth, and their seed from among the children of men, for they intended evil against thee. They imagined a mischievous device which they are not able to perform. Therefore shalt thou make them turn their back. When thou shalt make ready thine arrows upon thy strings against the face of them. You ever heard the phrase, live by the sword, die by the sword? That's actually what's described here. You know what's going to ultimately destroy the wicked? What's going to be the kindling of their fire? Themselves. The works of their hands will be the fire that burns for all eternity against them. The wicked are not going to die in ignorance. They know exactly what they are doing. The Bible declares that they know what they're doing and they know it's wrong. Read the end of Romans chapter 1. And that God will judge them for. They're judged out of the books because their name is not in the book of life, which was written before the world began, which contains the names of the children of God, the Lamb's book of life. Thou shalt make them as a fiery oven. Let's take a look at the last chapter of the Old Testament, Malachi. I got time here. Malachi 4, 1. You can go to the book of Matthew and turn back one page. Malachi 4, 1. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly, shall be stubble, and the day that cometh shall burn them up saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. There is coming a time where God will judge his enemies and he will judge them to where they can no longer come against him or come against you. That's what he describes. Their fruit shalt thou destroy from the earth. What is the fruit of something? That's the results of labor, right? 
all of the things that the wicked people of the world devise to do, God's going to bring it to nothing. There are some very, very rich and powerful people on this earth that make the news all of the time. I'm not saying whether they're children of God or not, but if their only focus is to become the king of the world and the richest in the world, I doubt their salvation. <laughs> I didn't have to say it that way. But even if they are, even those things they build will come to naught. Look at Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was a child of God and his kingdom came to nothing and he was put out in the field because he didn't acknowledge God. Why I say stuff like that? Because right now in the United States of America, we're facing one of the most oppressive economies that has happened in my lifetime. And I remember waiting in gas lines in the 1970s. I think there's possibilities of things far worse than that happening. And why is it? Because there are oppressors that love themselves. Can I tell you though, ultimately God's going to bring that all to naught. The fruit of their work is going to be, they're going to, they spend their entire life, can't take a dime of it with them. But notice also what it says. And their seed from among the children of men. He's not saying somebody's wicked just because dad was wicked. He is saying the product of what they are doing and those that would come from generation to generation afterward they are going to be taken away from us. There is coming a day where you're not going to have a fear of hunger anymore. There's coming a day where we're not going to have to be worried about the economy anymore. There's coming a day where everything that you need or could ever ask, you will have as you are a joint heir with the Son of the living God. This is talking about the utter destruction not annihilation. We don't believe in annihilation. There's an eternal punishment for the wicked. But they're destroyed from ever influencing us ever again. We have a picture of that in the account of Lazarus and the rich man. Where the rich man wants to get Lazarus out of heaven. He hurt Lazarus when he was on earth. He wanted to hurt Lazarus when he's in heaven. And God in the name of Abraham said, No, there's a great gulf between the two of us. Can't nothing cross over it. Oh, by the way, though, God can judge there while he gives glory <laughs> in the other place. God can judge and be against those that he is punishing. But we can have his countenance of joy. This reminds me of the Tower of Babel. Why did they build the Tower of Babel? They said, we want to make a name for ourselves in case we get scattered. Well, you got scattered. And he had no name. God brought it to naught. God was not afraid of the power of man. God, in speaking, broke down a building and made it where nobody could speak the same language as anybody else around them in an instant. Why would a God like that be afraid of anything man can do? So let me ask you this. Why should you be afraid of anything that man can do? You're a child of the king. Just say, Daddy, help. Hold me through this. For they intended evil against thee. They imagined a mischievous device which they are not able to perform. 
Man, I, I, just, I have to go back to Psalm 2 on that one. Turn with me back there. Psalm 2. I love the sound of pages turning in your Bible. Why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine what? A vain thing. See, anybody that thinks they've got a device against God, that they're going to do something to thwart the will of God, it's vain. It's empty. It's not going to work. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. That's Jesus saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. How often do we hear those words today? Oh, Christianity, that's just a, a, a religion that keeps away the things that we want. Folks, Christianity is the reason America is still here. Right. If Christianity wasn't here, good luck, America. Anybody look down at Venezuela lately? <laughs> or Afghanistan? Or most of Africa? Where the Lord has been rejected as a whole in those areas and the churches have left what is left. We don't have poverty in America. They got poverty in those places. Why? Because God has cursed it. God is against it. They said, let's cast them off. I love this. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Whenever somebody says, I can do something against the will of God, and accomplish something and get away with it, God says. <laughs> and then he has them in derision. You know what that means? Continually on his mind to destroy them. That's not a passing thought of God. Those that would go against him and his son, he has on his mind to destroy them. That's the reason that Peter said God is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness. It may seem that the Lord's delaying his coming, but judgment is coming. Haggai is saying, when's the judgment coming? God said, Haggai, wake up. <laughs> God's people have always had a problem wondering when God's going to act, and God's saying, I'm going to act. And he will. This declares it. They intended evil but they're not able to perform it. It doesn't matter what men plan or try to do. They don't have the power. That is the reason the Apostle Paul could emphatically, emphatically say, nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Nothing. They may have beaten people to where their faith was so weak that they gave in. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. The Lord knoweth them that are his. With their mouths, they may have made a mistake. But the will of men did not overcome the power of God. Our faith may be overthrown, but the salvation of God will never be overthrown. Let me state that again. Our faith may at times be overthrown, but the salvation of God will never be overthrown. That's what this psalm is teaching. We ought to be thankful for that because we don't always act in faith, do we? 
Does that mean when we're not acting faith and salvation's gone? No. We got no sight of it, that's for certain. But thanks be to God, we can get sight of it again because it never went away. Therefore, shalt thou make them turn their back when thou shalt make ready thine arrows upon thy strings against the face of them. Y'all bear with me for just a second because I need to describe you what is actually being said here. In military history, there is a wound that if you suffered that wound, you never told anybody about it because of what you were doing when you got it. That wound is a shot in the backside. That means you had turned tail and run. God says, here's what's going to happen to my enemies. They're going to turn tail and I'm going to shoot them in the backside. That's literally what the Hebrew says there. Those that think themselves all powerful will receive the coward's wound. <laughs> so not only will they be wounded, they will be ashamed. Let God take care of it. <laughs> Let God take care of that. The psalm began, The king shall joy in thy strength, O Lord, and in thy salvation, how greatly shall he rejoice. Folks, where there is no strength, there is no salvation. And where there is no salvation, there is no strength. But where there is salvation, that's evidence of strength. And when strength is there, there is salvation. They go hand in hand. And they're all in God. If the strength is there, then we're saved. If there's a question as to whether we're saved, we are doubting the strength of God. But David doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't do that. We rejoice because notice how he closes the psalm. He, he, he puts an end cap on it. Be thou exalted, Lord, in thine own strength so will we sing and praise thy power. Notice the threefold thing that he does there. Be thou exalted. I got a question for you. Can you make God any more God? Exalt means to raise high, doesn't it? How in the world can you make God any higher? You can't. But what can you do? You can make yourself lower. Take your will and your pride and toss them out. Get your face in the dirt. And exalt him as the most high. And when you do it, it's in thine own strength. Not in your strength plus I chose a little. Not in your will plus a little bit of mine. Not in your will was able to be done because I did my part. Not that you rewrote the law and made it a little easier for me. No, it is completely in the strength of God. Because by the way, folks, that law that we couldn't fulfill was fulfilled. To a jot and a tittle. He crossed the T's. He dotted the I's. And why is that important? Because when you stand before that judgment seat, God is going to say, oh, that's my son. He's going to see Christ's righteousness because it's counted, imputed to you. Why do we praise his strength? 
Because that's all we got. Otherwise, it's not praise. Be thou exalted, Lord, in thine own strength. <laughs> I love this. Every single human being has the power to take their own life. We do. But not a single one of us has the power to raise it up again. Jesus said, not only can I lay my life down, but I have the power to raise it up again. It was within Jesus Christ himself. His own strength raised him from the dead. You think you can cause yourself to be born again? It takes that kind of power. We have trouble getting ourselves out of bed in the morning. How much more trouble would we have if we had to fight our way out of everlasting torments? But it's in thine own strength, the strength of God. So, be thou exalted, Lord, in thy strength. The reason that Christ is there and that we should see him there is because the, the power of God and the power of God alone. Today, um, remember what I said. To God only, to you, Lord. So, here is what we do. We will sing and praise thy power. You believe in salvation by grace. So when somebody says, well, then why do you go to church? How do you answer him? To sing and praise the power of God. That is the grace of God. One more thing and we'll close out. Turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 1. Some folks accuse primitive Baptists of just preaching out of the Old Testament. No, we preach the Bible. There's not a different message in the Old Testament than there is in the New Testament. It all points toward the power of God in Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 is probably the text that I've quoted the most in my life. But it talks about everything that we've just been saying. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, exalted. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. There's not a thing that you need for eternal salvation that has not been provided. There's not a thing that you need for time salvation that God has not provided. He has given you the ability to repent and believe and to follow and enjoy the countenance here. You ain't waiting on something from him. He's given it to you. He gave it to you in the new birth. It's called faith. According, this is Ephesians 1 verse 4. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Prevent before the foundation, to go before. This is Paul's describing Psalm 21 for us having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. When God chose you, he was able to declare, you're going to be mine. You will be raised in the likeness of my son. And so we can rejoice in the power of God even though it hasn't happened yet. Our resurrection is not in doubt as to what it's going to be like. Because it's not according to our will, but according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, here's what I was after. 
to Deum, to God alone, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. This week, if anybody asks you, what did your preacher preach on? Tell them he preached on the doctrine of acceptance. But it's how you were accepted in God. Get their attention by saying something that they're familiar with, but then tell them what you really mean. Tell them what the Bible says. We have been made accepted in Jesus Christ, the beloved, because of the glory of his grace. And so we're here today to praise the glory of his grace. That's why we're here. To see Christ high and lifted up. To see what King saw. His train fills the temple. And we are like he is. We're of unclean lips. But he's cleansed our lips to praise him. He deserves it. Who are we to deny it? May the Lord bless you all is my prayer. We hope this edition of Triumphal Feast has been a blessing to you. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and visit our website at mppbc.com for further resources, including our devotional blog, Little Brother's Thoughts on the Bible. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you all is our prayer.